I'm Sarah Heiner, President of Bottomline Inc., the number one provider of expert-sourced, expert-vetted, expert advice that empowers your life. I'm thrilled to be talking today to Dr. Andrew Hill, founding director and lead neurotherapist at Peak Brain Institute. Dr. Hill, who suffered from ADHD when young, is one of the top brain performance coaches in the country. He holds a PhD in cognitive neuroscience from UCLA's Department of Psychology, and he continues to do research on attention and cognition. In addition to founding Peak Brain Institute, Dr. Hill is host of the Head First podcast with Dr. Hill. He's lead neuroscientist at True Brain, and he lectures at UCLA, teaching courses in psychology, neuroscience, and gerontology. And you can learn more about Dr. Hill and his work at peakbraininstitute.com. So welcome, Andrew. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we've been talking, we were talking about ADHD and nature versus nurture and the source of that. We were talking about the way that you at Peak Brain Institute are able to retrain the brain so that people don't even need any of the medications and help people to manage their, their, their unique, uniquely functioning brain that is an ADHD brain. So now mm -hmm. I just want to play. Can we play a little bit? I want to sure. do our own little word association brain game because you have such an interesting perspective on how the brain functions and the impact of aspects of the world on the brain. So can we just do like word association and I'm going to say, I'm going to give you something and you're just going to tell me what you think. How's that? Sure. That sounds great. That sounds great. Okay. Let's play. Um, let's start with smartphones. I say smartphones. smartphones. You go. Right. Go. Um, I think they're converging with our computers and pretty soon we'll have uh, the same equivalent technology. I don't see the downsides except for maybe, you know, social disengagement and neck pain. <laughs> and, and text thumb? And text thumb, right. Exactly. <laughs> but so that you don't see it having any kind of impact at all on a child with ADHD that they don't, that it, mm. they're using it, crutching with it or anything else? I, I, I don't think specifically to other ways the kids have to learn to manage the behavior. I don't think it's making it worse. I just think it maybe is one of the ways we see the bad management of attention come out because it's one particular thing that's high stimulus and ADHD brains want the stimulus. So it tends to be very compelling, but I don't think it's any qualitatively different than anything else the kid does with their brain. Okay. Let's go medical marijuana. Yeah, I um, think it's wonderful for the things that it works for. It's, it's pretty profound, uh, anti-seizure, anxiety, sleep, et cetera. I even think the recreational marijuana industry that's sweeping the country is pretty positive. You know, no one's ever died of a marijuana overdose, but we get, you know, many, many deaths every year for alcohol. Um, I also think that the long-term consequences of marijuana are quite minimal, and, and, the, and the research doesn't show a lot for adults. Uh, and so I think that, again, for the medical side, it's quite positive. Um, and the downsides of marijuana when used medically, you know, things like seizures, anxiety, et cetera, PTSD, uh, are just about non-existent compared to the downsides of the prescribed meds we would use for the same categories. Is there any increased, I think I've heard that um, kids with ADHD may have a higher vulnerability to some dangerous behaviors, some street drugs, things like that. What's your thought? Yeah, my thought is that ADHD people don't have any increased ability to become you know, addicts or substance abusers, but they do have increased tendency towards uh, the things that drive uh, some of the substance abuse things like anxiety and impulsivity. The anxiety of impulsivity, you may start you know, using drugs or uh, sleep issues, you may start using drugs and that can become a slippery slope. We often will use these drugs to self-medicate because they work. Um, but some of the drugs, not, not cannabis or marijuana so much because it doesn't tend to produce 
Uh, there's no dramatic tolerance shift such that you use more and more and more. It doesn't happen with cannabis. It does happen with most other drugs. The tolerance just you know, goes, goes up and up and up. So alcoholics drink and drink and drink more and more and more until they're poisoning themselves. Um, I, I, I think that with ADHD, with the increased impulsivity, maybe some anxiety, maybe some sleep issues, maybe the seeking of stimulus in general, you can get in trouble if you aren't careful. But I don't think it's about any drug addictiveness in that brain per se. It's more about a few more risk factors. And we have drugs in this you know, community and society as a maladaptive uh, coping strategy that's available to people. You know? Right. Gotcha. Okay. How about soda? Uh, soda in general is pretty horrible for you. Um, high fructose corn syrup is ridiculously bad causes oxidation of uh, tissues, atherosclerosis, arteriosclerosis, probably has some big impact on dementia and, di and diabetes, um, does not help the young brain in the slightest. And uh, if you say, well, I'm using diet soda now, um, I still don't have any good news for you because a couple of things occur. One is artificial sweeteners will cause the same dysregulated insulin response in people who are Westerners who've been eating sugar their whole life. Um, as if you ate sugar, the artificial sweetener causes the same reaction. And B, some of the artificial sweeteners have profound impacts themselves. Uh, aspartame at 87 degrees Fahrenheit turns into formalin or formic acid, which strips the myelin off of nerves and causes pseudo-multiple sclerosis type symptoms. So major problems in artificial sweeteners, major, major problems in high fructose corn syrup, and even things like agave, where it doesn't have any uh, essentially... Um, Glucose, so it's almost all fructose. Fructose, when it's that high, has no insulin response in the body, which people think is good, just causes fatty liver disease really profoundly. So you shouldn't be having sweeteners, essentially. Even it, no so even the agaves and even the how about stevia, same thing. Horrible. So well, not stevia. Stevia doesn't get metabolized and it seems to be relatively innocuous. So you can use it, but stevia is hard to dose, and you have to kind of be careful. It's really bitter. Um, but but yes, uh, uh, well, um, stevia is okay. Will use of these things exacerbate symptoms of ADHD or behavioral issues? Probably, probably not. Um, there's no real good evidence that sugar exacerbates ADHD. It will it'll help the brain. It won't help the brain, you know, become resilient. Certainly, um, there is some evidence that artificial sweeteners cause hyperactivity to ramp up in a few people that are sensitive to it. Um, so that's you know, it, it's it's not not a causal factor, but again, it's artificial sweeteners. Not sorry, uh, colors, not sweeteners. So sweeteners can cause problems in terms of brain health. They don't necessarily elicit ADHD, but they aren't going to help it either. Right. Okay. How about parental attention? I mean, this is important, I think, in, in any kid, regardless of any age. Um, and they need to learn to manage their behavior. But and, and there's a piece about when they're very young kids, having the identity be very similar to other parents. And that has to change at some point when they become teens to have their identity be more about peer groups and informed by the world. It's a very complex and sometimes painful process for everyone involved. Um, when there's ADHD, sometimes the behavior is more dysregulated. The person's more stimulus-seeking, staying up late, doing things that are extreme, not doing things that are modern adult human things like taking care of projects and homework and things like that have to be done. So you have to help a kid with ADHD learn to scaffold the behavior, if you will, the, the performance around their weaknesses and their strengths so that they can learn to really lean into the superpowers that ADHD has and learn to manage some of the downsides. And again, that can be simple things like getting things done and other you know, uh, task management programs, or it can be things that are more uh, involved. 
to go after control of the resources like neurofeedback or mindfulness. So when kids are young, how important is it for parental involvement to help the kids so that they're getting the attention, they're getting the support that they need, and they're not out needing to seek a greater attention or pick fights with their parents? Um, I mean, it's, it's somewhat important, but you're not going to be able to tell a kid to not have a reaction. I mean, I grew up profoundly ADHD, and I can't tell you the, the thousands of times my dad would roll his eyes, get frustrated, and say, think before you speak, think before you speak. And no matter how many times he told me to think before I spoke, nothing was going to happen before I spoke. You know, I discovered the words as they thought of my mouth as a kid. Um, and so there just isn't this like seven second delay to do executive function things that many people have when there's profound ADHD. So you can help a kid learn to manage all the dropping of tasks and managing multi-step projects and procrastinating and being a little impulsive here and there and not staying up too late to degrade sleep when they want to stay on the internet all night and help them understand why these things are manageable and should be managed. But you're never going to tell a kid, hey, don't be impulsive in that classroom when somebody, you know, tells you something. It's right. never going to, there's, there's no voluntary control over that. So you have to give them agency in different ways, which is, hey, let's build that resource with mindfulness, with neurofeedback, so you have control over time. So the parental engagement is important because the kid just needs to feel safe, and no matter who they are and what resources are happening. The thing that I love about your whole perspective on ADHD is that it's about the individual learning mm -hmm. to manage the individual. That they Absolutely. have to own themselves, own their brain, own their characteristics, and it's not going to come from the parents, and it's not going to come from the drugs. It's really, this is, this is who you are, buddy. And it's up to you, no matter what. I keep throwing all these things at you thinking that diet's going to impact it. This is going to, parent's going to impact it. Parent doesn't pay attention that it's going to be an impact. And you just keep going back to, it's up to the person. They're, yeah, they're in I charge. Mean, uh, but, but, and I mean but, in a but, good way. But a parent, but a parent right. helps the kid learn that agency and learn that control. So yes. you, have a, you have a five-year-old kid with profound ADHD, you, you, you know, you have to sort of your, your job isn't to control the behavior. Your job is to, is to engage the agency of the kid. Yes. Is to help the person right. understand themselves. And your job becomes a coach and a mentor, not a controller, not, not a jailer of that behavior. Right. Exactly. But again, it's up to, it's helping that kid to manifest their best being and their ability to, to be in control of themselves. Yeah, which absolutely. I think is huge in a land where parents are stepping in and taking away the kids, no matter who, whether it's an ADHD kid or not an ADHD kid, parents are stepping in to get in the way of their own decision-making and their own confidence building. That's yeah, or, or to label things from the outside. Here's yes. a stimulant, you're broken, okay? Unless you have your drug, oh, you're, you're misbehaving, more drugs. Right. That. That, 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 that erodes the agency, and I think that doesn't help. Even if the drugs work in controlling the behavior, it leaves the kid not having any sense of control, which doesn't long-term help their management of themselves. Do you think it makes parents feel better to, label, to be able to put a diagnostic label on their kid so that they don't feel like they failed as a parent? My kid has ADHD Maybe. and it's going to get fixed. Maybe. I, I, I think that parents want the most and the best for their, all their kids, you know, almost almost without fail. And I think that it's not so much that the, the, the displacing of the guilt. I think it's more about, okay, something can be done. So great. Let's let's label it because now we can do something, um, be it a stimulant or whatever. I right. mean, if, you know, if you, if, if, if you have a genetic disease and you were going to die at age 20, you may not tell your kid that. If there's nothing you can do about it, you know, I, I, I would with my kid, but you might decide not to mm -hmm. if it's your kid. 
if they're, you know, because you can't do anything about it. And it's just who they are and it's going to happen. But with ADHD and the sort of management of resources, you know, it's really important that the person understand what's happening so they can take some control. So I, I think that parents get that sense of agency when they get the diagnostic label, and the, the, the prescription for Adderall. They feel like things are moving in the right direction because they're taking action. Because they're so powerless to help the kid otherwise. Right. And it's the so, only tool they have. If their doctor it, is not talking to them or doesn't believe in the ability to retrain the brain, the only tool yeah. they have is yeah. the prescription. Yeah. Often, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's do a couple other of these. Um, how about, let's talk about insomnia for a second. How about insomnia and ADHD kids? Insomnia is huge in ADHD, um, and sleeplessness in general are a big factor. There's some really great work by Martine Arns, A-R-N-S, at brainclinics.nl. Uh, and Martine's shown that there's something called a sleep spindle, uh, which neurofeedback people call SMR, that isn't produced the same way in people with ADHD as it is in typical brains. And so you end up getting disinhibition in behavior, thoughts, control, et cetera, with, with, with different SMR or sleep spindle production. And so insomnia, often sleep onset issues when there's no anxiety or sleep maintenance issues waking up throughout the night when there is anxiety shows up with ADHD. And yes, it's a problem because you're under rested during the day, you have less executive function, less self-control, less stamina, less vigilance later on. So you can see how it directly affects it. But there's something else going on. The core regulatory features of the brain uh, that show up in ADHD when it's really dysregulated also show up as a sleep problem for many, many people. So it's really worth addressing in, in uh, sleep issues. And at the very least, with ADHD, you have to address the sleep hygiene because the person won't want to downshift and shut off their brain. So you have to make sure that they're not lying in bed all afternoon, reading and playing video games so the brain forgets how to sleep in bed. You have to turn off screens a couple hours before bed or at the very least use some blue blockers to avoid uh, suppressing melatonin so the person's brain isn't still ramped up at 10 p.m. or 9 p.m. thinking that it's you know, 4 in the afternoon. So you have to really manage the sleep architecture and hygiene because the ADHD brain, especially in kids, won't want to do it themselves. They won't want to turn their brain off at night and wake up in the morning. Those transition times become much harder. And so the behavior, the, the hygiene around the sleep has to be much better. Yeah, get, got it. Fail faster, so. Okay. One last one, and then I will let you go. How about role models? Role models are important. Um, you know, it's important in ADHD, I think, for people to know who have it, kids to know, that it is this sort of uh, superpower that comes with some kryptonite, you know? And you can look at all your favorite actors and musicians and athletes, and uh, many of them will have ADHD, and that does not stand in the way of anything you're doing as, a, as an individual. So knowing who, you know, who your role models are uh, because ADHD is a normal human feature, I don't think it's useful to say, oh, here's my ADHD role model, but it may be useful to go, oh, I have a superpower, therefore, you know, what things do I find most interesting? And, and knowing that you can apply your superpowers towards learning, towards facts, towards information, towards patterns, in a way that other people won't be able to, allows the person with ADHD to really sort of uh, lean into any topic in any area they find interesting. So you really are able to chase, you know, sort of passions with a lot of raw horsepower. And I would, and I would say instead of finding individual, you know, role models who prove to us that ADHD can be su a success driver, I would actually flip it and say, look, if you got ADHD, you have all the resources. You just aren't as good at managing them. 
So figure out who you want to be like, what topics, what interest, what, what, what uh, areas of interest you're, you're into, and you will find specifically with ADHD, the more interested and, and engaged you are cognitively with a topic, the easier things get because the more that superpower comes online. So it's not about finding a particular role model, but it is about finding things that will engage your passion because once the ADHD person becomes effortful with their attention and starts to really engage it, they have abilities that are profound sometimes above average that are you know, ridiculously powerful and learning how to routinely engage those is part of the challenge of having this kind of brain. Yeah, but you know, the more I've talked to you, the more that I really see it as such a, a magical gift that simply has to get, as you say, managed. Exactly. All yeah, right, exactly. Dr. Andrew Hill, thank you so very much. Peakbraininstitute.com. Thank you, Andrew. My pleasure. Nice to speak with you. Great talking to you. I'm talking to Dr. Andrew Hill, one of the top brain performance coaches in the country about the epidemic of attention deficit disorder. Staying focused in an increasingly frenetic world is just one of the many challenges facing our brains as poor eating, sedentary lifestyle, and environmental influences increase the risk of depression, early onset dementia, memory loss, and stroke, not to mention the impact of traumatic brain injury on our brain health. You don't have to succumb to these challenges. The editors of Bottom Line have created an encyclopedic volume of super brain boosting secrets that can improve brain performance and reduce the risk of memory loss. We think that dementia and memory issues are old age problems, but the damage actually begins decades before any symptoms are seen. Don't be a victim. Learn what leading researchers and experts are telling their patients about staying sharp. Bottom Line Super Brain Boosting Secrets is just one of their many books on helping people create abundant health. Go to bottomlinestore.com forward slash boost to order your copy today and use the promo code podcast for 20% off. That's bottomlinestore.com forward slash boost to order Bottom Line's Super Brain Boosting Secrets today.